Julie Rossi, and today on the show we have first he hosts I think five thousand podcasts. <laughs> uh, super funny. He created the show Chatterbox Comedy in California. He's got one of the funniest Instagrams, and he's just a delightful human being. Please welcome to the show. It's me, Steve Hernandez. There he is. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I've had to reschedule. I think you're my most rescheduled guest because I forgot life happens and I also have a child. So you've got the baby, you've got <sighs> COVID. I don't have COVID. No, no, but COVID, you know, everyone was breaking down all the time. You have yeah. all that stuff happening. It's just being alone and living in this time. It's like, I think that's one positive thing that's going to come out of this is that everyone's going to hopefully give everyone a break when they say like, Hey, I, I'm just, I can't make it or I can't, I can't come to this thing tonight. I'm having a breakdown and, and then it'll be fine. It's really hard to commit to anything anymore for me. Well, you got that kid. Yeah. And then, but then the pandemic, the having no commit, going from no commitments to more than one in a day has been really hard. I can do one commitment a day. (laughs) Well, you're talking to, I'm a pretty big commitment head. Um, I love it. I break out the calendar. I'm always, uh, you know, I'll text and I'll say, what do you get? What's it, what's it look like in two weeks? I'm that kind of a guy. Um, but with the, uh, I don't know, the variant has really fucked everything up too. I just, uh, I just uh, announced a show I'm starting. It's called Hernia on September 1st at the yard theater. It's going to be the first Wednesday of the month. And, uh, that, uh, Julie and I were going, Julie and my wife and I were going back and forth, like how idiotic it is to start a show right now but ultimately we were like i just don't think it's going to change i think it's going to be this way for the next couple of years so the most you really can- think it's gonna be the next couple of years oh yeah absolutely i think that this variant there's going to be another variant i think then there's going to be another variant and i don't i just don't see these people as getting vaxxed i think there's a a, a pretty large amount of people that are just never going to get vaxxed it's so I feel like I've talked about this so many times on the show, and I guess it's becoming a Provax podcast, but I don't even think like I so when you have a baby, they get a lot of vaccinations in the first year. And I'm just like, cool, give it to me, give it to her. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think it's absolutely wise to be an informed patient. I think it's wise to ask your doctor questions. But I also think at a certain point, you have to trust science. We're not doctors. You know, my yeah. mom, my mom is barely holding her life together. And she's got so many opinions on vaccines now, all of a sudden. Uh, she's, you know, and Afghanistan now, all of a sudden. Now, I don't know. <laughs> is she anti vax? Yes. Uh, and her brother and sister, my aunt and uncle, died of it last year. What? Yes. But is her- it. Gone. <laughs> I was gonna say, is it hard to? Is has it strained your relationship? Yes, uh, yes, definitely. Um, we we were always we're a little combative, but not in a bad way. I really do love my mom. She's been through a lot of shit, um, but she has she really is like main. She's really hooked on God, like drugs in a lot of ways. She thinks she has a direct connection with him and stuff like that. And she's, uh, you know, I think in a lot of ways, she's a very wise woman when it comes to the ways of God. I used to be a pastor. So you you didn't know that you knew that. No, I didn't know that. I used to be a youth pastor at a mega church uh, in faith. It's called faith, faith church in West Covina now. Yeah. Wait, when (laughs) did you leave? Hold on. And I'm sorry if you've talked about this on other that's okay it's it's all part of the origin story you know what do you got like a couple you gotta always say all the time right yeah i mean that is how did you become a pastor and then how did you become what you are now (laughs) i grew up at this church uh in and and uh i started going to that church when i was seven years old a neighbor lady took us and uh it was called faith community church there pastored by dr jim reeve in west covina I think it might have been 500 people at the time when we started going. But as I grew older, it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, when I graduated high school, they started an internship program. 
I became an intern. A year later, I became the junior high minister. A year later, the high school minister. A year later, I was running the college group and the whole student ministries department. And then about a year and a half after that, I washed out. Wow. And were you like hardcore? It's Christian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, I was, I was pretty hardcore Christian, but I wasn't that different than I am now. You would, you would, uh, I mean, I, besides all the sex stuff and things, you know, about me, but like, I was a funny, pa- <laughs> yeah, I was a funny pastor and I was really edgy and stuff. You know, I broke my, you know, I broke my share of Eminem CDs on the stage, you know, like, Hey, I felt, you know, I love them too, but you know, this is not for us, you know, that kind of thing. You broke uh, the CDs in an act of. Yes, I bought, I love Eminem too, you know, it's just what I'm trying to tell the kids, you know, I'm like, hey, I like rap music, this is not, watch, you know, this is not for us, we can't be putting these this stuff into our soul and that kind of shit. I ran at a Christian haunted house, uh, we ran, uh, <laughs> we ran What's a, a Christian haunted house like? It, it was called uh, Inferno, uh, and the, the underneath the like heading thing would say, It'll scare the hell out of you. So there's all these rooms that we constructed. Oh um, you would walk through, and each of the rooms was like a sin. And like, uh, there was like a, a I don't, some of these I get mixed up with other Christian haunted houses. But for example, there would be like a, <laughs> ga- a gang room where like it's like a party, and then like these like guys start fighting, and it, the lights go off, and then gunshots happen. Or this other one, like this, then you go to this next room. And it's like uh, some girl has premarital sex and like she has to get an abortion and she's like dying of the abortion. Like all of a sudden. Oh, my <laughs> I also love that you just said maybe I'm getting it confused with other Christian haunted house haunted houses. Well, I don't think it's um, uh, there's a there's a pretty popular documentary called Hell House. But a lot of this stuff um, we got from other mega churches. So when my church was taken off, we would go to huge mega churches, like a place called Willow Creek in Chicago. Um, Rick Warren's church saddle back in Orange County. I mean, I love this shit. I'm launching a Bible podcast, uh, Bible YouTube show in the next couple of weeks called read the Bible with me with Steve Hernandez. But yeah, this is all the stuff. Like I know this stuff. It's all like business mixed in with like, I mean, all the Bible and stuff. Yeah, 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 for sure. But all this other weird big business and like, kind of tricking kids into giving their life to Christ. It's all like, it's all crazy. It's all weird. Wow. I love that you also said I was the exact same except for the sex stuff. Yeah. I mean, I I really did. I was authentically trying to have an authentic relationship with God and with Christ. I was doing the best I could to do that. All of my teachings would come out of that stuff. Um, You know, the same place that I, I get jokes from now, uh, I would I would get sermons from back then, and I would call it the Holy Spirit. I don't mind. I'm getting to the place where I'm comfortable calling that thing God again. I ab- absolutely mm. don't believe in any kind of being God or that anyone's watching us, but I do believe that we're connected. I believe that there's something in all of us uh, that, like I said, I feel comfortable calling it God. It's the thing that tells us to forgive people, uh, to love people, to reach out, to be the best versions of ourselves. And um and yeah, that thing still exists for me, but yeah, you know, I was, I was a, a Christian. I was brainwashed just like my mom's brainwashed now. Um, was she upset when you left the church? Yes, but my mom's always been a little bit of a renegade too. She's like a prophet. Like she goes to, so now she'll go to these like little churches that where they like revere her as a prophet. My church has oh. gotten a little too like corporate and she got divorced from my dad, like when I was a senior in high school. So, so about, you know, I stopped doing this when I was 23 years old. So those four or five years, they were that our church kind of turned their back on her a little bit because she got a divorce from my dad, who was a monster. He wasn't physically abusive, but in a lot of ways back then, I, you know, my mom has since told me things and it's, you know, horrific in a lot of ways. I love my dad. We have a good relationship now, but I, I, even now he's grown so much, but I would not 
I would not wish a woman upon him. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and my dad's a good looking guy too. So it's like, yeah. And he's like funny and everything, but sometimes like stuff, he'll like say some stuff and it's just like, yikes, this guy is awful. Uh, but it's, it's so wild yeah. because you, okay. So you have this super Christian mom and this dad, who's not an ideal partner to women. And if, if you, from what I know about you, I don't know you that well. I just like you. Um, but you seem to be a very open-minded, very sexual feminist, dare I say, guy, uh, which seems very opposite of hardcore Christian and uh, not great to women type of guy. I was bad to women for a long time. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, not, and not not in any way that was like that I was doing on purpose or anything. But um, I was like, a you know, my last marriage. I forget what we're going to talk about. It doesn't matter. We're, we're going to just let it rip, Julia. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, my marriage, you know, I could honestly say I was like a legit bad husband. Uh, we were as as you know, but your audience may not know. Uh, I'm non-monogamous, polyamorous. Uh, very ethical about it now, especially with my current wife. So ethical that I hardly do it because it's like hardly ever a good situation for the most part. But back then I was like, as bad as you hear about like it's polyamorous guys being and that kind of thing, shady and all that kind of stuff. I was that bad. I was like uh, the poster boy for being bad at it. Shady, still kind of doing whatever I wanted um, not really considering my wife's heart at the time. Um, I don't think we were supposed to be together. I think we were a bad match. We just got married young. But um, how old were you when you got married? I, I she was young. I wasn't that young. Uh, she was twenty three. I was thirty. Um, but she kind of made me get married. She like kind of gave me an ultimatum, and mm. said she she's very like. In her heart, she's a conservative person. She, her politics, she's like a liberal person. But um, she, she very, we dated two years, and she's like, "It's time for us to get married." She just had a plan always, and um, you know, I loved her, and we were open, which to me meant I could do whatever I want, uh, which wasn't true, but that's what I thought it meant. So to me, I'm like, "Oh, I love this girl. She accepts me for what I am. I don't see what could go wrong." And uh, of course, <laughs> it all went wrong. Did she also partake in the openness or no? Yes, but I do think she was so young. Uh, I'm a I'm a firm believer that people aren't really kind of done being cooked until they're like 27, 28. That's what I believe now. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I met her, she was 20. I was 27. I was a loser. So it wasn't like I was like a winner doing it. I was a server at TGI Fridays in West Covina. And I met her through like another server. And uh, she was, you know, in college at the time. So she was um, bisexual. She was all open and doing all this. But she was in college. You know, she doesn't know what the fuck she did. So and I was still kind of like, I think, reeling from exiting the church in a lot of ways, still trying to find my way and and not really understanding that I was mourning this thing because it it was a calling for me. And and I was good at it, which are those things are, are kind of. They're hard to like, it's hard to find that again. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's also what, like your identity in many ways. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I stopped doing that for the right reasons too. I, you know, I, at the time I was having sex with my girlfriend and I would get drunk sometimes and I just knew I'm too young to be doing this. I, my, my relationship with God isn't that good. And so I quit and the, the church asked me to not come back for a year. Um, I know why they, wow. did they did that because they didn't really have any control over me at the time. And so they didn't want me like ripping the church apart or doing crazy shit. It's probably not. It's biblically, it's not correct, to be honest, according to the Bible. But they ran the place like a business. So even now I understand. I think it's shitty, but I also understand why they did it. So I was it's working. It's not biblical for them to say you can't come back. No, what they did was wasn't. I'll tell you what, it's funny because you have to know the Bible to know the, the, but it was very shady what they did. First, they asked me, they said, well, you're too good at this, so we don't think you need to like quit, but we do think you should step back for a little bit. Do you want to stay here or do you want to go somewhere? And I was like, 
well, uh, I guess I'll go somewhere. And so I went and like worked at an orphanage in Ecuador for a few months, but I didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> so I was just over there, like miserable, like helping at this orphanage. I would go to this bar sometimes because the bartender spoke English and I would get drunk with them. And it was just like, oh, it was miserable. So I came back and I said, I, I really don't want to do this anymore. And they said, that's fine. Okay, fine. Obviously, you want to quit, but you can't come back for a year. And now the biblical thing for them, what they should have done, I didn't realize how much they fucked me over and probably fucked a lot of people over by doing it this way. The Bible would call us, <coughs> excuse me, the Bible, the Apostle Paul says that if someone continues to sin, which is me at the time I was sinning, they need to get up in front of the church and tell them, hey, I'm sinning. Uh, this is what's happening with me. Uh, and that's why I'm not going to be a part of the church anymore. They didn't allow me to do that. They um, they just said, all right, you leave. And then they um, just told everybody, this was a big thing. This was um, my high school class had 300 kids. My college class had 100, 150 kids. I had 50 adult volunteers under me. And we were like a, a machine or a machine going all these small groups, big live events, camps, all this stuff. So I'm there one week and then I'm gone all of a sudden. And they just told everybody that I wanted to go back to college. And so I didn't have any contact to me. It just seemed like I abandoned them for nothing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which I didn't think about at the time. I was too kind of caught up in my own shit to really understand what happened. But I've since like so many of my kids and so many of adults that were volunteering under me have come to me and they were mad at me that I would just ad ab abandon them like that. When I tell them, oh, no, I was having sex with my girlfriend or I started to drink. I shouldn't have been doing that. They're like. Okay, well, that makes sense. You were 23 years old. But the other thing is really fucked up. You know what I mean? To just be like, ah, fuck these people. Yeah. Did did you find that? I mean, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but do you think a lot of people who, especially like young pastors, end up kind of going, I mean, I hate to call it sinning because I don't consider it sinning, but as the Bible would view sinning, because I feel like it's a really hard life to maintain um yes and that's part of the reason why i quit yeah as you hear about pastors all the time who who start then sinning in private and then they end up getting caught in some kind of thing and yeah. for me i did not i've been very fortunate that i i don't really i've never felt guilty about sex or um i, I just don't have shame around that area in a lot of ways and so even then I knew I shouldn't be doing this, but I also knew that I was going to keep doing it and I didn't mm -hmm. see anything wrong with it. So that's part of the reason why I quit. And, um, and, but I think a lot of people don't, I think a lot of pastors don't, I was getting to the place where I, I was starting to teach at other churches, summer camps. I could have made a lot of money. I could have been a very successful youth pastor, written books and go and teach and all that stuff. But if my relationship with God wasn't right, I just didn't, I didn't want to do that. And at that point, I didn't feel it was right because I was, quote unquote, sinning. Um, now I know I made a big mistake. I should have stayed in the church and made a lot of money. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you really regret it or no? Uh, I, I, in my, I have a pilot that I kind of working on and I, my, my God stuff is always in all my stuff, but I yeah. do, I do truly, I, I have a dream at least once a year where for some reason, like the church needs me back, you know, like I'm a pitcher or something like that. It's like something goes wrong and they're like, we got to get back, Steve. And I go back and I like help them. And I'm like, so happy. I'm like, I'm like, yes, this is so cool. But just because I, it was an amazing time. It was so fun. We were like a young political organization. If you think about all those people, like, going for one, like this one purpose, trying to save kids. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone's young and having a blast for Christ. That's like such an amazing, fun feeling. And then, yeah. so I, I just think now it's so great being a Christian because you get to judge everybody and you know, like exactly like th what you're supposed to be doing. You're the good guy. That's like such a cool feeling to know that you are living your life 100% exactly how you should be living your life. It wasn't true, but it's a great feeling to feel that way. 
Well, if it's not true, so it's a great feeling to present that, you mean? Or no, no, no. It was true to me. I thought it was true. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like it's it was sustainable though. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, and you're you're yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, I, I was only able to do it for a few years before I, I crashed out. It could have been a public thing, but it just wasn't. I wasn't doing anything that bad, thankfully. But if I would have kept on that track, I'm sure it would have turned into something bad. So you leave the church, you're kind of grieving it. You don't really ha- know your identity at the time. You're a waiter at TGI Fridays. You get married. You have this open relationship, but it's negotiated not very well, it sounds like, or you were sort of taking advantage and not really treating it respectfully. I tried. Okay, so side note, in my <laughs> first marriage, uh, I like what you said about people aren't really fully baked because uh, yeah. I married my college boyfriend who were still friends, but I think we were more friends than a relationship the whole time. Um, and I tried to, when we got engaged, I tried to propose like a very gray area openness where I think he thought it was just like me making out with someone once in a while, but like it wasn't that And what it was, was it wasn't me being cool. It was me being, I don't think I want to get married. How can I pretend (laughs) to be single, but have the confidence of somebody who's in a relationship? Because there is nothing, there's no kind of confidence, like the confidence of someone who, like, I have a fiance at home. I have someone who will, like, hold me when I'm sad but then I can like try to pretend to be single. So it was a disaster. So I, I relate to you somewhat in that way of like trying to be open, but mine was not coming from like a cool, cool girl. I, I thought I was being cool. Like I read ethical slut. I How old like, were you at the time? Uh, I got engaged when I was 27, I believe 26. Yeah. And then I think married, no, maybe 27 engaged, 28 married, divorced, 29. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it all before 30. Uh, that's great. Get out of the way. Yeah, get out of the way. Get the first one out of the way. <laughs> I love calling my husband my second husband. I think it sounds so chic. <laughs> right? For you, I think it does. I think for a woman having a second <laughs> husband, a woman having a second husband is chic. Uh, guys, we always just feel like failures, but no. that's okay. Yeah. You know, I I love, I'm very happy now. I love my wife now. So I believe it all, all worked out fine. Um, she was, my, my ex was, was very, very, a very poor communicator. Um, and I, I'm not, another no shade to, to her. Um, she just wasn't good uh, at expressing herself. And so even if she were to have problems, I, wouldn't even know about it because she would never say this bothers. She couldn't even say something like this bothers me. She wasn't capable of saying that. I remember it kind of shit hit the fan when I I got a girlfriend. And um, at some point I started to tell the girlfriend, I love you, which I did love her Um, while you were married. Yes. And that I could tell was like really short wiring my wife's brain. Like it was starting to really bother her. But like I said, she doesn't say anything. She is not saying anything about anything. And uh, after a while, you know, she just kind of shuts down. After a while, I would just be like, okay, I'm just going to break up with her. And she's like, I never asked you to do that. And I, I just knew it was like, geez, this just feels doomed. Also, the whole thing kind of fell apart. I started comedy after I got married, which is not fair to her, who was a private person and all this <laughs> stuff. And I'm basically like, I'm a loser. You know, you're signing up to be a loser, basically, if you're signing up to be a stand-up comic. Uh, I I know you're not. I know. I know we're not supposed to say that. But to me, I always think stand-ups are just, I'm like, I just think we're losers until like, until we're successful. But that's like, just, it just tips over. And then it tips back sometimes too. So we're like kind of winners oh, and then yeah. we're losers again. But I was oh, yeah. sometimes you know- I watch stand up and I'm like, this is and even like it's good stand up, like this is pathetic. <laughs> I love stand up, like truly. And uh, I love open mics. And we have a really good one at the Chatterbox every Thursday. And and we, we started doing we haven't started the Sunday show back up again, but we have like a community of comics out there. And so when we open up again, 
I worked there on Thursdays, Thursday, Fridays, and Sundays. So I was like, let's start the mic up again. I don't find, I don't feel good about promoting a show, everyone coming here, but I feel very good about saying, all right, stand-ups, you want to come practice, you come back. We've been having great open mics. And then this past week, past Thursday was the first one that is like, because we get real audience and stuff too, but this one like just felt like a fucking open mic. There was like 45 comics and it was just a lot of scared people in there. And it was just like the worst kind of an open mic. And uh, and I was, like I said, I love it. So grateful for my life and everything that's create. I've helped to create. And then I was just like, what a bunch of fucking losers. We're all just losers. <laughs> Up on stage saying our dumb little baby thoughts. Give me a break. <laughs> dumb little baby thoughts. I mean, yeah, it is. I went through a phase where I didn't even say that I did stand up. Like I was doing stand up. But I went through a phase where I called myself a performer because <laughs> I felt like such a loser saying I was a stand-up comic. It was like, but you did weird... used to do a lot of storytelling things and everything too. Yeah, though, right? and and that also encompassed it too. Like I like hosting. I like like I never. I've known. I've always known that I never wanted to only do stand-up. Stand-up is like this thing that I don't know. It's the one thing that I feel like is mine. You know, it's, it's, I sort of have control over it. Like I can do it when I want, I cannot do it. I can say what I want. I don't care really anymore what comes up stand up specifically. Like, I feel like I've achieved some things I wanted to and whatever. So it feels like this, this other thing that I'm not really expecting to make money from, you know, or a lot of money, let's say it's the things that come because of it. Like, you know, the hosting or the writing or the acting or whatever. So yeah, that that's why I think for a little while I like I don't know, I just associated stand up with like dudes that like go to an open mic and then sit at a diner and talk about stand up for 10 hours <laughs> and I'm just like no thanks. Um, but God bless you if you're listening. Uh, and please rate review subscribe on iTunes. I uh... <laughs> Well, I was, that was that was me when I first started. So my poor wife who is in HR and like has plans like has plans. And this thing was just, this really fucked up everything for her, but it ignited me because I hadn't felt this feeling like since I had stopped doing, you know, there was a 10 year difference almost between when I stopped doing ministry stuff. And when I started doing stand up again, almost right away, I was like, Oh, this is another calling, which I didn't think I would ever have that again in my life. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was, I was such a similarity too, like the sermon thing. I mean, Good stand-up, I, I think, personally for me, not only makes me laugh, but also makes me feel something. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm getting there now, 10 years in, but those first couple of years were rough, okay? <laughs> it was bad, you know? I was a bad comic, but and my wife had to watch all of that, and she would go to these shows and, like, see me be excited and you know, when you start, you're, you don't know who, what's what or who's who. So, you know, some guy talks to you and you're like, oh, man, I saw this guy on. Holy fuck. I can't believe he talked to me. And a couple of years later, you realize he's a loser. And but my, my wife knew the whole time. Uh, so, you know, we had the we had the open marriage stuff going. And then ultimately, you know, with my with my ex, I remember she wanted to buy a condo and we, we could afford to buy a condo. And this was like part of her plan. And I remember we went to, to go look into a loan and we were filling out the paperwork and she's, and she was upset that I wasn't as hype to buy a condo. Mm -hmm. And I told her, listen, like, I love you and I'm happy for you. And I know this is your dream and I'll help you anything I can to support you in this dream. But I am never going to be that excited about buying a condo. And, uh, from that point on, we just kind of knew that if life worked out the way we wanted to at the end of her life and at the end of my life, if we got everything we wanted, our lives would look so vastly different mm. that there, there was no way that we could keep doing that. So we went to counseling for a year and it slowly unraveled and uh, it was very, very painful. It was awful. Worst, one of the worst feelings ever. I Probably the worst thing I've ever been through. And I was abused as a child, but still it was like. Uh, the divorce was the it, worst thing you've ever been through. Yes, it was. Awful. How long were you married? We were together for seven and a half years. We were only married oh, wow. for two and a half years. And what 
tell, well, it was funny because before we started recording, <laughs> we're, I'm I sorry, that's not true. Hold on. Is it true? Seven and a half years? Yeah, I guess that is true. That sounds crazy when I say it. <laughs> I, I have I to tell listeners before we started recording, I was like, oh, like, what do you think you want to talk about? And you were like, well, we could talk about the divorce. And then you said, I know we had very different ones. You're like, mine was painful and you were happy about mine. And I was like, I wasn't like happy to get divorced. So you were sad. Of course I was sad. I knew it was. I think what made me this, there's a few reasons why it was sad. Number one, I was sad because I think it could have been very much avoided if I had ended the relationship when I first had doubts years prior, when I kind of knew just something wasn't lining up. And um, the, the, the things that were the most, like I knew it's, it, you know, I knew it was the right thing, but it was still sad. Um, I was sad because this person was, my best friend at the time and had been my best friend for almost 10 years. And I knew, even though we're still friends, we're never going to be that level of close. And so that part was devastating to me, the, the loss of the friendship. And also just, um, you know, I felt like I had ruined a lot of people's lives. I didn't, you know, it wasn't my, at the time I felt like it was my fault because I initiated it, but I, you know, I come to, as the years went by, I understood that it was our relationship that didn't work. It wasn't me that was the monster. But, you know, you you get used to – my therapist said, and I love this, she's like, with every decision comes grief. So even if you're making the right decision, you're still going to grieve something. So you decide to be a comic. You're going to grieve your nights being home, maybe. You know what I mean? Even though you love comedy or – if you know you move to a different city, you're going to grieve that old city. So it just, I, I think that any breakup, for the most part, I, I have one breakup that I I didn't feel that sad after. But but my marriage, like I loved this human being with all my heart, and I still love him. I just knew I couldn't grow to where I wanted to grow in this relationship. It it it's it had stopped my growth. Had I felt like stopped somewhere in the middle of this relationship and it wasn't their fault. It was just, I couldn't grow it. I don't think we could grow together. Yeah. It sounds like you had a lot of guilt and I had a lot of guilt too. I think that's what, yeah. what made it so painful. I, when I got out of it, I was doing it in my head for comedy for stand up, And I thought that she would, I thought that everything was going to be okay because she was so successful, like financially and everything like that. But I, I just felt so bad, like leaving, like leaving her, you know, the same reasons you said, I remember getting up in front of our friends and family, making these promises. And then these years later, just stopping that. It, uh, yeah. That yeah. part is hard. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, it really, it did really fuck me up. And I, I, I was a, you know, I was, like I said, I was a jackass. I don't know. I realized like almost right away with comedy, with all these stuff, I I was talking like about comedy. I would always tell like comedy, comedy is the most important thing to me. It's number one, all this stuff, just like a, just an idiot, just being like an idiot guy. Probably. Uh, I don't know if women go around telling that to their, their partners saying like comedy will always come first, that kind of thing. I've I don't never think said so. That. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure there, there might be some women, but yeah. I'm sure it's guys like just being idiots. And this was when I was like a bad comic too. So it's like, Oh man, what the fuck? When I think about all that stuff, uh, I do feel terrible, but you know, that stuff did help to teach me help, help to, I, I would say I was a le- legit, like, terrible bad person then and i'm getting better all the time um now a lot of that comes from having relationships with women that i didn't have back then now i have i have uh, a few very close women relationships that are purely platonic that have taught me so much uh but you know even i i had to stop drinking three years ago because i I would black out sometimes. And then who the fuck knows what I'm doing when I'm blackout, what I'm saying or what I'm doing, any of that stuff. And, um, and I've learned so much since that, since three years ago, I'm becoming even a better person. But even those first couple of years of that was like thinking back of how awful things I've said to people or having to apologize. You've never, you've never struggled with drinking or anything that much, right? 
No, I mean, I, I used to drink in the socially acceptable way for, you know, a college student and then a comedian in her twenties, early thirties. Uh, I don't, I'm like a once in a while glass of wine person now. I just don't really like it the way I used to. I love weed. Um, oh, I know that. <laughs> yeah, but but I've never I don't have I've never had like an addiction issue. No. But you've known comics, especially in New York, where you're like, this guy needs to stop drinking, right? Yes, and I also think it's it's uh, two episodes ago. I had um, do you know Ukarsh? He's a uh, I never say his last name correctly, so I'm not even going to try. But he's an actor. He's in Freestyle Love Supreme. Anyways, oh he's oh yeah yeah. Yeah, he's. Yeah, in, I think he's in Free Guy. He just came out. He of is Free in Guy. Free Guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a great conversation about um, how working in nightlife kind of turns you into somewhat either a full fledged alcoholic or an alcoholic light, like I would maybe call myself, because I would find myself not even being in the mood to drink, but being like, "Well, I just got paid in drink tickets." And I got to get my money's worth for the night or whatever. And then I'd end up drinking just to hang. And it kind of became more about like the hang than the, than the craft. And so I think there's a lot of socially acceptable dysfunction with alcohol when you work in night entertainment, restaurant industry, you know, in that world, I think it kind of that that's sort of like acceptable quote unquote alcoholism in college that's just like, oh, they're just a college student ends up bleeding into <laughs> later. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then there's like legit alcoholics. I'm not discounting that. But I think that like a lot of us go through, I think I've had a lot of friends go through periods where they're like, yikes, I was drinking a lot. And it wasn't when I was happy. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's how I started. I worked at TGI Fridays for six years, and then I've bartended at the Chatterbox for 13 years, and I've, I've been a comedian for a long time. And back at TGI Fridays time, I would, like, black out, like, a few times a week and stuff. We would really go on those hard. big fruity drinks, those, like, <laughs> mudslide no, drinks? Not at TGI Fridays, <laughs> okay. just, just with the crew. <laughs> I remember, uh, yeah, in my 20s, that was all – so we'd make like 150 bucks or 125 bucks a shift. I'd work five shifts a week and my rent was like $400 or something like that. So we just always like some, we'd send somebody like at one we'd send someone to go get a bunch of booze. Then we'd all go party at somebody's house after like that for five years or so, something like that. Do ecstasy, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, and then, you know, comedy is kind of like that too. But I got to the point, just like I said earlier, I was learning so much, um, especially about women and about how I, how I should and shouldn't treat them. But when I would get drunk, if I would black out, I'd hit on people that I wasn't supposed to hit on. I'd be like a just like a sloppy monster or something like that. And it was slowly like the as the years go by, um, I just knew I can't be a good man and keep drinking. It just got to the point where. You know, I have a podcast called Who's Your God with Amy Miller. And if, if you know Amy Miller, she's pretty no nonsense. She's no bullshit. Her, she's one of my best friends now. And it's just like, Loving. I mean, I can't look Amy in the face. You know, I can't if I'm going to be a, a creep or something like that. Uh, don't worry. No Horatio Sand stories are coming going to come out about me or anything. I'm just saying I was a guy that. I was not proud. You know, you have to wake up the next day and apologize to somebody. Hey, I'm sorry I said that to you. You know, I'm this kind of thing. At some point, I was like, how How long am I going to keep doing this for? And so that was a few years ago. And that's uh, the case. I mean, not, not to have you speak on behalf of all men, but do you feel like that's the case for a good portion of them just in the way that – I don't know. I, I just, and I, I think there, people don't talk about it. Uh, and I, I think people don't talk about it publicly because they don't want to get called out for stuff. That's one, one reason why there's a lot of guys that can't speak on behalf. Cause if they do it publicly on the internet, a lot of times people attack them for stuff they've done, but I don't yeah. mind talking about this stuff because I believe in growth. I believe it's the only, and that you kind of, kind of got to reward growth. I was just talking about this with Blair Saki and Johnny Pemberton and, um, you know, we want to banish people all the time, but if we banish them and there's no recourse, there's no way for them to come back to the tribe, then why would they try to change? What is there for them to benefit them 
if we won't allow people to grow and change like that. I do think that guys, I think there's a lot of guys, this isn't like assault stuff. This is just being a creep. This is just weird. Like, um, I, I, you know, and I, I do think, I know this is like, I think alcohol is really wrapped up in like fucked up sexual assault stuff that happens. I think all of this stuff that things end up happening, if people weren't drinking that, that those things wouldn't happen. And by no means am I victim shaming. I'm speaking predominantly from the men's side that a lot of times people do bad things they wouldn't normally do just well, because it impairs your judgment. Absolutely. And it's you know? hard to being sober and dating is near impossible to read the the read the cues and understand what's happening. If you're both drunk and giving off things and interpreting things, fucked up shit happens sometimes. And even if the other person's sober and this gross guy is drunk, that kind of stuff happens. People, I think people drink because they want to do things that they know they shouldn't do. That happens a lot of times. Well, you know, I, I have. I've had a really hard time uh, verbalizing how I feel about a lot of things that have come out about certain people. I also feel like me tweeting my feelings about a story that has nothing to do with me isn't always the best use of my voice because it's like, it's not a conversation always. It's like a, you know, I don't even know who I'm talking to sometimes, right? It's like, I'm talking to nobody sometimes. I'm talking to myself. Buy a diary, you know. Um, but I, you know, it's it's been tough because over the last few years, when like let's say you know something has come out about someone in our industry, and people are like, you know, if you're not speaking up about it or you're being complacent, and it's like, no, I have always been to a fault at times, extremely understanding and forgiving. Um, I don't want to change that about myself. I I have had to learn boundaries. You know what I mean? Like you can be forgiving and understanding and also be like, but I can't have you in my life. Like that, that's very different. I've unfortunately at times been like, I'm extremely forgiving and understanding and walk all over me, you know, and that that's not a good thing. But what I'm saying is when it's come to guys, inappropriate behavior, and again, not assault, but like hitting on me or, a guy, you know, I don't know, like a booker being kind of creepy. Like I have often confronted them and then they've been like, Oh my bad. I thought you were flirting or my, you know, like there's been a dialogue. And at times I've had some girlfriends be like, Oh, Julia, you're like so gullible. And I'm like, but I don't think I'm being gullible because I forgive them. I think I'm understanding that people make mistakes And obviously, if you keep making the same mistake over and over again, then it's like, all right, come on, man. But if you are somebody who does something and it's interpreted and and it's a miscommunication or it weirds somebody out and they approach you and then you see growth, I don't understand why I would never then go and share the story later with a bunch of people and be like, you know what so-and-so did five years ago? It's like, but they've grown. You know what I mean? Like, so I I think it's being... um, I think it's a really tricky thing to talk about. Exactly what you just said is like, you want to hold people accountable, but you don't want to also make it so no one can have a conversation. Yeah. And uh, I think that does, I think it does happen. I, to be fair to, in my experience, I I feel like there's a lot of uh, women like you too, Julia, that are, if you could have a conversation with, um, people, then the people say, geez, I'm sorry. And I won't do that again. And most women, let's say, are very understanding about that. I, I find that they are mostly gracious. Yeah. The times when it sucks is when the person keeps doing the same thing over again. Yes. I mean, the, even for me, um, as a man on, on this side of things, um, I actually, I just lost my train of thought. I forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> being held accountable, being a creep. Having a woman say something to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just completely forgot what I, I was going to say. but um, I'm sure it was great. Yeah, it was really good, actually. You've got to yeah. believe me. <laughs> oh, my God. It was honestly, I'm going to quote it. I'm going to quote it. No, but um, I, I, think, I think, like I said, for the most part, it's funny for us to say this. This is an issue, but also, like I said, for the most part, I've found that uh, women are very gracious as long as 
you admit what you did wrong. You apologize. You, you are sincere and you change your ways. I think a lot of those things happen quietly that people don't even talk well, about. Well, offline. That that, yes, I mean, offline. really, it's an, it's an issue with, and for any of my listeners listening, it's like every fucking conversation I have always goes back to technology because technology is wonderful for things like putting out a podcast where we're having a lovely <laughs> conversation, but it's a fucking really overwhelming tool at times when it comes to having a conversation about something like this, because it's like a million people trying to get the last word in or the most popular word in, let's say. And I really, I hate that it's created. I don't know. I've had, I had like a conversation with someone recently. Uh, They were actually just talking at me and I just happened to be standing. It was a guy. And then at the end of it, he ended it with like, oh, what are you going to cancel me now? And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, it was so, it had like, I was like, well, first of all, I don't have that power. Second of all, I have a child to go take care of. I think I'm really going to, he didn't even like, he, like nothing even happened. It wasn't, it, it was just him sharing opinions and then him being, ending it, his like closer in this conversation where I got no words in was it, when are you going to cancel me now? And I was like, no, I have better things to do. Well, I th- I think that's the thing too. You'll see people attacking each other online, everything. I think what it's really, what it's good for, what we need to say is that, oh, that's just not my, you're not my kind of a person. You're not like the worst person in the world or whatever. You just suck. Like, so you're not bad. You don't need to be canceled. Uh, but I don't want to spend time with you. And I do not like your brand of comedy at all either. But you know, there's a lot of people that do You're, you know, some of the worst comedy is very popular right now. Uh, that that's uh, toxic. I mean, not like just bad comics, although that's always popular. That never goes out of style. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I, uh, I'm grateful for this time. I, people have been very gracious with me. I should say when I quit drinking, I sat down with all the people that were close to me and it turns out that some of my closest friends were at the end of their ropes with that stuff too. And wow. I hold on, I, yeah, and I hold on to that stuff. Very close friend said, "Oh yeah, you know, we got in a fight once when I was drunk." And he's like, "In my head, I kind of wrote you off after that." And I was like, "Oh, geez." And he wasn't gonna ever tell me that. Um, but when I came and talked to him and apologized to him about things, that's what he said. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there's probably a lot of people that need to stop drinking, um, even if it doesn't mean AA or alcoholic or anything like that. It's just kind of brings out the worst in some people and so um you know even if i don't i don't know if i even co- i don't feel comfortable with the, the ideas of alcoholism and everything it entails and everything uh i do like meetings sometimes i do believe it helps a lot of people but even if you're not the worst alcoholic in the world i think sometimes you know if it if it makes you apologize to people if you become a worse version of yourself then it might be a pretty good idea to stop yeah. Did now? Did you um, when you met your second wife? Um, were you drinking at that time? Yes. Yeah. And so uh, she's seen the transition. Yes. Um, yeah, we talk about it a lot too, because you know Julia is like a road dog too. So we we party hard together. Like it's one of my favorite things. So we go to bars together. We drink at home. We just party hard together. And then once I stopped, she like just pretty much stopped too. She's just, it's not really her thing. She was just doing it along with me. And I've, I've asked her sometimes too. I'm like, what did you, cause she's never asked me to stop or anything like that. And I was, and I go, do you notice a different, do you like it better like this? And then she's like, oh, absolutely. And she's like, I just, I don't think I understood that I wanted it to stop. I couldn't have verbalized mm-hmm. it either. I, she just loved me so much and she was just on, you know, she was just with me and whatever entailed, whatever came with me. And since that's how it always was when we were together, I think she's like, oh, this is just kind of how it's going to be. It's changed our relationship radically. I would not have. We got married uh, on New Year's Eve. We're going to have a, a wedding celebration still, but we just went to Vegas because we just wanted to get married, uh, especially we want to get married on New Year's Eve. And uh, I would never have been able to make the decision to get married again in a mature way if I was drinking still. Mm. Yeah. Isn't it nice to, for your second marriage, have it be a clear, because I felt the same way. This was a very clear wanting decision, not a I should or, you know what I mean? There was no, 
it was a very nice, mutual, clear decision. Yeah, I think it's just the difference between being an adult. You know what I mean? It's like it was you. I'm sure you and Will, you talked about everything right before, like money, babies, everything, all that kind of stuff. We've had it out so many times throughout the years. She knows exactly who I am. There's nothing new. I haven't hidden anything from her. And so when we decided to get married, when she decided to be my wife, there's nothing I'm going to spring on her. Especially now that I'm, I'm now that I'm not drinking. Hold on, is that I'm like, I'm like not chaotic at all. They're like I, I kind of alluded to it, but the idea I'm non-monogamous, polyamorous, but I don't even think that's going to pay off that much uh, in that many ways. Which, by the way, philosophically, I, I that's not exactly really why I do it. I'm a big philosophy guy. I used to be a fucking pastor for Christ's sake, uh, but to me, it's a lot about ideas and. Um, the actual practice of it, I think it, it'll happen maybe two or three times in the rest of my life. But the, for things, something to be beneficial and okay for me and for this other person, I just don't. I don't think it's gonna like when me being as busy with stand up and everything. I think true polyamory and non monogamous stuff. It's basically like a hobby or a second job a lot of times if you want to do it right. And I don't have that time, so. Yeah. I also love that you said you were a pastor for Christ's sake. (laughs) (laughs) It was literally for Christ's sake. Um, Yeah. The not, you know, my husband and I have had that conversation when we first started dating. Um, Basically what I, cause I went from this marriage where I had this very not well negotiated me basically being a brat. It was me trying to see how far it was honestly me trying to see how far I could get away with stuff before hoping that he would leave me. I yeah. really think that's what it was. And he wouldn't. Uh, and I feel really bad about how I handled it. And then I immediately got into a relationship with someone who was like, you are my woman and property. Cause I wanted to see what that, I didn't know that's what I was getting into, but it turned out I just kind of went the opposite. So I went from like someone who kind of, I wanted to notice that I wasn't, behaving appropriately and he didn't really say anything as much as I wanted. And then I got into a relationship with someone who, you know, started to kind of turn into one of those dudes of like, what are you wearing? Kind of oh, no. direction. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah. So, and then I, and then when I started dating Will, I was like, listen, I'm kind of all over the map. Like I know I don't, it was like Goldilocks and the three bears. Like, I don't want, I don't think I want an open thing where you don't even notice that I'm not home, but I also don't want you to control me like what, and, and it's been really nice. Cause I, I think it's sort of similar to what you said. Um, we're not open, but we have an openness between us of dialogue and it's made me not even really want any of the things I thought I wanted in the past. Like, like I feel very, the fact that we can talk, like I can make jokes about people that I'm attracted to, or we can, you know, talk about possibly, oh, this person would be great to have a three, you know, like, like there's sort of like a fun dialogue that we have that like, we haven't necessarily acted upon, but knowing it's because like when I've met couples where like, you know, the wife is like, can you believe my husband checked out that woman? I'm like, I mean, yeah, like I want my husband to have a sex drive, you know, like if he wasn't checking out other people ever, that would either he's a liar or he's his everything's broken. Yeah. I I think everything you just said is that's the most important thing. I mean, if you have that dialogue, if people choose to be monogamous, I think that's, that's great. You know, you guys have have a kid now. It's good to make conscious decisions about how you want to live your life. I think a lot of times monogamy is just a given for most people. And they also take, the idea of being attracted to other people, they take that so personally that uh, yeah. it, it beca- it's, it's devastating for some people when they find out their partner is attracted to someone else. And uh, yeah, I just don't think that's that's sustainable. Um, if you can be open and honest with your partner about how you're feeling about different things, I mean, that's the most that's the, absolutely the most important thing. I, I philosophically, it's funny because it's always changing for me, but, you know, I don't drink anymore. It's been almost three years. It is the idea of having sex with somebody new sounds terrifying for the first time. <laughs> yeah. 
I have had uh, there's one person I dated a person about four months before the pandemic and four months into the pandemic, and then we stopped seeing each other. And that was it was terrifying. The the I mean, we didn't even get a chance to have sex like that often because the pandemic happened. But I, I mean, I was just like, what? what? Why am I doing this to myself? Just stay home. Uh, <laughs> I mean, at this point, I'm tired to if I get a full night's sleep. That's better than any sex I could ever <laughs> possibly. If I could get like if I could get if I could sleep for 12 hours uninterrupted. Ooh, that would be <laughs> that would be like coming a thousand times. Um, I remember. Yeah, me, like, I, you, I, Go on. Oh, no, you go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Yeah, to me, I'm just like the philosophy stuff behind it for me is like, so I just want things, relationships to become and be whatever they are. I think um, in in our society, because monogamy is the default, um, you can't. I know there's a lot of women I can't be friends with um, just because they think it's weird. Uh, there's a lot of married women. There's no way I could ever be friends with because they think it's weird. And I'm not they even talking what about is weird. being friends like with a man uh, where you would just oh. like go go to coffee with a man and they're married. Or maybe it's just me. I mean, I think also two people know I'm monogamous, polyamorous, and they think I'm always trying to make something happen maybe but i i really i don't give i've never that's not the kind of person i am i like to uh only be with people who want to be with me and i assume nobody wants to be with me just because uh <laughs> i mean i just feel that's the safest bet because i think everyone's so scared of non-monogamy and all this stuff too i would just never I, the idea of hitting on someone and I don't know. It just I am I assume nobody wants anything to do with this kind of thing. Yeah, I I think I mean I'm right there with you cuz I'm really into the philosophy of stuff too and I feel like it it just it there's no point in being in a relationship unless the two of you are in agreement on what this relationship is. And it is sustainable, I guess, to sort of fake your way through a relationship where you're not, but almost everyone I know who has been in, in such a situation in which like, you know, and not even just about monogamy, like one of them wants to live here and the other one wants to live there. Or one of them wants kids and the other one doesn't. I've rarely seen it pan out. It's always inevitable that it ends or they stay together and one of them cheats or one of them has a drinking problem. Like there's always something <laughs> that makes the other one escape in one way or another, whether it's escape into a, a an affair or a, a substance or work or, you know, they're, they're not fully there. And so when I used to host my, I used to host a relationship podcast with my husband and it was like the number one thing that would always come up between couples when they were sort of describing what works, which is like, I remember it was a uh, Jenna Friedman's, uh, fiance, Josh, I believe it was him. I hope I'm quoting the right person, but he was like, the number one thing to make real a relationship work is to live in the same reality. And if you don't live in the same reality, then you're just going to constantly be like, I still argue with my partner about certain things because we're both different human beings, but like our groundwork is, is we both get it. We kind of know, I'm not even going to say the rules. We both know the what constitution the the ex i don't know what the right word for it is but the philosophy we both have the same philosophy yeah. about our relationship yeah so i mean as so as wide open as i am philosophically about all that stuff then i think the idea of finding someone who also sees eye to eye on that kind of thing is going to be rare so i'm mm -hmm. i would it would have to like you know, it'd have to be pretty obvious to me, but the idea of trying to go out there and make something happen, like I said, unfortunately, I don't have the time. I have too many projects that I'm working on and stuff like that. And I'm also like very happy and wildly in love with my wife. So ugh, what, a, what a bummer, man. huh? What a bummer. Uh, <laughs> it's a bummer for a polyamorous person. And it's a bummer too, because I, uh, you know, I was talking to a, a, a good friend and he was like, I think people think you're joking about the poly stuff because you seem so in love with Julia. And I'm just like, that's not really what Polly's about. Okay, bro. But I think he's right. There's so many times, you know, girls just 
And then women just love Julia so much too. I think they feel like they would be betraying Julia, even though that's not the setup of our relationship. If they were to have anything to do with me as well. I will say, cause, cause Julia, for anyone listening, doesn't know is also a comedian. I am married to a comedian as well. And one of the most devastating things was when I started dating him and all these guys that used to hit on me, I wasn't going to hook up with them, but like, you know, they would flirt with me, stopped because <laughs> they respected my husband. And I was like, but I still want someone to check out my cleavage. Like, let me know I'm still pretty. Um, that, that has been uh, truly the hardest thing about my relationship has been not one guy in comedy, even the second they'll, they'll like kind of flirt with me and then the second i'm like yeah my husband will they're like will i love that guy and i'm like oh man we're just gonna have uh, to settle for our happy marriages oh god well i feel like this is a great way to end uh talking about our happy marriages um thank you so much for being on the show i have one last question that i ask every guest very important question should i get bangs um let me see i've seen you with bangs have you? I feel like pictures or something like that. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's it. Some people get into a long answer and some people just be yes or no. And I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. Yes. And where should people, what should, uh, what do you want people to listen to? Name all your podcasts. I won't name them all. <laughs> a couple of them are just Patreon only now because I was doing uh like so many regular episodes and then Patreon episodes, but I'll just say who's your God with Amy Miller and then keep an eye out for my, um, keep an eye out for my YouTube show, read the Bible with me with Steve Hernandez. And, uh, I'm starting a monthly over at the yard theater off of Melrose. It's called hernia. The first one's on September 1st stack lineup. Follow me at big Hern on Twitter and hernia on Instagram. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. Such a great episode. I love talking to Steve. I, I encourage you to find him online. Um, again, like I said at the beginning of the show, his Instagram is just so silly and makes me laugh so hard. Um, you know, a little, little behind the curtain intel on the podcasting world, uh, if you don't know, but so, you know, I have ads uh, at the top of the show and often at the end of the show, and I don't always know what ads are going to play. I have a company that gets ads on my podcast. And I was like, oh man, it would be really weird if like on one of these episodes I've done recently about, uh, you know, alcoholism or, you know, having issues with alcohol, uh, if there was just, you know, ads for Bud Light or whatever. I mean, many months ago, uh, I did an episode about, I've done a lot of episodes where I've talked about internet addiction, but I had Paul Greenberg on to talk about putting down your phone. And I was like, oh, we cannot do a paid ad for any apps on this episode. Um, that's just a thing I wanted to share. So if, if the ads ever, you know, conflict with the topic, uh, apologies in advance. Um, listen, I'm going to be honest with uh, listeners. I... I might end this podcast soon. I love doing it. It brings me so much joy. So I, I might continue to do it because I love talking to people. Um, but I am feeling a bit overwhelmed between taking care of my child, trying to get some projects done. I just got a new gig where I'm going to be hosting this new online network, uh, all dedicated to cannabis and normalizing cannabis and, and it's going to be really fun. And so anyways, long story long, uh, I'm feeling a little busy and honestly, I don't even know if I have consistent listeners. Uh, I, you know, I, I, the numbers are fine and it's not about the numbers, honestly, you know, the, the one or two messages I get a month saying that an episode help someone really motivate me to keep going. But, um, you know, I also don't want to keep doing this if, uh, it's not reaching a lot of people. Um, so I don't really know why I'm telling you this. Uh, if you want the show to keep going, let me know. Um, the show is for you, the listener, first and foremost, it's for me as well. And it's for the guest, but it's really for the listener. 
So if you want the show to keep going, let me know. Uh, if you like the show, I know I say it every time, the rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, wherever you get pods, it's because that helps push the visibility. Um, you know, it takes a village is what I'm getting at. But um, yeah, reach out, tweet at me or comment on Instagram or uh, send me an email. Should I get things pod at Gmail? Whatever you want to do, but let me know if you want me to keep doing the show. Let me know guests you'd like to have on the show, people you'd like me to talk to. Let me know topics you'd like me to cover. Uh, I feel like I've had a lot of episodes, like I said recently, about drinking. Um, you know, there's, I, I feel like the conversations for the most part have gone in some really cool directions, but if there is a specific topic you'd like me to tackle and have a guest come on and talk about, I'm down to do that. Or a topic you want my sister and I to talk about, get a mental health professional on here to chat about something. I'm down with that as well. Um, so yeah, this ending is, is me talking to you specifically, the listener. Um, I hope you're enjoying the show. I hope you're getting something out of it. Obviously, if you're listening right now, you, you the answer is yes, all the above. Um, but please connect with me and let me know, you know, how I can serve you, how I can be of service to my community. And that is it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you next week, assuming I keep doing <laughs> the show. Uh, wow. What a dramatic end. Uh, take care. Bye-bye.